come alive. Because that's the kind of God you are, that when you speak, you speak to our hearts and you enliven our souls. Um, You really do this. As Jesus was teaching some disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were reflecting on it and they said, did not our hearts burn within us as, as he was explaining to us the scriptures? So Lord, may we be the fellowship of the burning heart. Uh, help us, Lord. Even as we hear the word of God, help us to say to you, oh Lord, press this in upon me. Change me. Do this for your glory. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so you have 2 Corinthians uh, 4 and 5 in front of you. Now, I'll be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Uh, We're trying to explore in this series uh, the subject of grace for what matters, for what really matters in your life. Uh, So I've been thinking about this uh, amazing passage. Um, 2 Corinthians is just full of beautiful beautiful scripture, um, and I hope that you uh, will take this to heart and uh, take this home with you and begin to read Second uh, uh, Corinthians 4 and 5 uh, over and over. It's just a, a beautiful uh, place where Paul is revealing really what motivates his heart, what keeps him going, um, what, keeps, what keeps you going in life, what, what keeps you not just going but leaning into life. Um, not just being self-protective, but courageous and with gospel confidence. All right, so the subject today is death. (laughs) How about that? Um, uh, Somewhat uncomfortable subject. But Paul just starts in with a verse 1, and we know that if if this tent of this momentary existence, this tent referring to his body, our bodies, if this tent doesn't last, well, we have a, we have a dwelling in, in heaven that's immortal. He just moves on. It moves really smoothly and quickly. Like, just like, just like he's talking about the weather. It's amazing. Do you remember when you first had this awareness that you were not going to live, uh, that your body was going to die? Do you remember? This sounds like a morose subject, doesn't it? Do you remember that awareness that came over you? Um, I remember it distinctly in my life. The idea that here I am and someday my, my heart will give out. Someday I will not live now, that's an awful thing to feel about. It feel, isn't it? An awful, awful. Why did I come to church today? I'm a, oh, my goodness, you know. Can't there be a better subject? I remember distinctly Grandpa Capon, my father's father. He lived in a town called Cucamonga, and there really is a place called Cucamonga. Now it's called Rancho Cucamonga. Some developer got a hold of the t- name Cucamonga and put Rancho. Doesn't that sound better? Rancho Cucamonga. And my grandpa lived on Archibald Avenue in this amazing stone house from like 1890s. I thought it was amazing. It was a pretty simple little house. But And one time I was with my grandpa for some reason. 
we're driving along, and it dawns on me, and I am like seven years old, eight years old, it dawns on me. And you know when you visit grandpa and grandma's house, all the pictures are old, all the furniture is old. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You get this, it smells old. And you get, the, it's just it's just how, it's kind of how grandma and grandpa's house is supposed to smell. And it's even better when there's cinnamon rolls, you know. Throw that in there too. And uh, I just, man, it dawned on me, I'm driving along. And it dawned on me, as excited as I was as a little boy, a dread, just a darkness kind of went right through my body. It rushed right through me. A conscious awareness. I was just getting started in life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up like my grandpa. And I knew the second I experienced that, I didn't have words like I'm using this morning, but I knew the second I experienced that, I, I knew it that I couldn't pretend what just happened. I couldn't imagine it away. It wasn't a pretend experience. It wasn't something I made up. It was an awareness I could not get rid of. Now, fortunately, I mean, you think of if a young child dwells on death, that would not be a really healthy thing, right? So... Think of some of the sort of the, the pathologies that might arise from that. Well, fortunately, um, I didn't dwell on it because there were plenty of things to distract me as a little boy, right? And so, in one sense, it's very, very good. But one thing that really, really helped me. Now, I'm going to date myself, but I think a lot of you here can remember this. There was an amazing TV event that happened. And for three years, it captivated my young boy heart. And unfortunately, there were only three seasons of this amazing show. But my father, who loved science fiction, made sure we all gathered around that RCA color set. By the way, my grandpa would always upgrade his RCA, you know, the color console. And he would always upgrade it. So we got his secondhand one, which was really a good one, right? And so we were always the envy of the neighborhood. It's like, yeah, our grandpa just buys these TVs all the time. So here we are watching and Star Trek. Yes, the original, the, 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 the broadcast that was underway. I saw the whole deal. Every, I can't think we missed anything. My father was enamored with Star Trek and that prologue when it gets started. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. Do you see? That moment when my grandpa's car faded away. I had the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go... Ah, look at this. It's part of our liturgy this morning. Isn't that awesome? To boldly go where no man has ever gone before. And then the, the Enterprise. And I, I was so enamored. All I needed in life was this boldness. I could face strange creatures. I could face the future. And yes, we look back on it now. It's goofy, corny. Some of the crazy, funny things. I always loved Captain Kirk yelling at Scotty, the engineer. 
Captain, I mean, he, he would say, uh, Captain Kirk would say, give me warp speed, Scotty. And Scotty would say, she can't take it no more, Captain. She can't take it. Right? You refer to the, the Enterprise as a, as a, as a woman, as a, in a female, right? Uh, she can't take it no more. And then Scotty, I mean, then Kirk would say, shut up, Scotty, you know, or something like that, you know. It was, it was just, I just thought it was fantastic. Kirk was in charge, and he, uh, he was going to make the, just the sheer determination and boldness. I grew up in a, in a, in a house where, again, my father's the science fiction and imagery and the books he re- read, I was convinced that I probably wouldn't drive a car and I would, we'd probably have these shuttlecraft going around. And uh, it was just this amazing imagination. And then 1969, this Apollo program we walked on the moon. Do you know, yes, the Vietnam War was underway and there's many, many sad things going on. Do you know how optimistic things were? On television, we have Captain Kirk. And on the moon, we have Armstrong walking around. Are you kidding me? Star Trek wasn't that off. This boldness can really, really do stuff. This boldness can achieve things. And a long, long way back, some vague feeling. Remember that moment in, with my grandfather's car? It just faded away. Now, other things were more real than what happened to me in my grandfather's car. How do you account for the shortness of your life? How do, you, how do you think about it? What goes through your mind when you think about it? And, and it's really interesting is at this moment, there's a, a two paths, essentially. I am either going to live forever, and I have some confidence that that will happen, and we'll talk about that. Or I, the I that is I, I'm going to fade away and dissolve. And I will be no more. Be no more. I read a book um, from the author. Uh, just finished it. Uh, the author of um, uh, Alexander's horrible, terrible, no good, rotten day. Okay, uh, her last name is Vorst. Right, Vorst. Um, she went on to be a psychiatrist and has written a lot of psychiatric works and counseling things. And so I read a book uh, by hers. Uh, called Necessary Losses. is about loss in life. And so it's very interesting. And so, of course, you get to the end of the book, and she's talking about death, right? Death. So I thought, well, yeah, uh, how does she address this? And here is one view of it. Are you ready? She says, our existence is finite. The self that we have created through so many years of effort and suffering will die. And sustained though we may be by the idea, the hope, the certainty that at some portion of us will, will eternally endure, we also must acknowledge that this I, who breathes and loves and works and knows itself, will be forever and ever and ever and ever obliterated. So whether or not we live with the images of continuity or immortality, we also will have to live with a sense of transience aware that no matter how passionately we love, whatever we love 
we don't have the power to make it make it or us stay. Wow. Staring into the abyss of nothingness. That is a worldview, by the way. There is no accounting for the human experience, the personality, the soul, who I am, nothing. It's all just a momentary existence and leading to to nothing. And there's a, a school of thought that says, yes, the most brave and honest people are those who can face that. And you who are religious and believe your Bible and all that, you have all these neuroses and fears. And that this is all conjecture. And we who are the brave ones who can face this nothingness are, are uh, you know, the most honest ones among us. Let's read scripture. Verse 1, chapter 5. For we know that if... The tent that is our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is a minister of the gospel. This is an apostle speaking to people and their real needs. And you know, he he addresses the subject of death. How does he think about it? This this apostle Paul. What 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 does he what what goes through his mind? And what is bursting through right away is that he is a minister who wants people to know they are going to put on immortality. They're going to put on immortality and they will live forever. This is gospel confidence, gospel assurance. This is not just a five-year plan in space. This is an eternal plan. And so what we're doing here today is we're actually watching a minister of the gospel minister to people, speak to their deeper issues, to their heart issues, to their needs. We have someone who is looking into the heart and recognizing that as there are distractions, there is media, there is all kinds of ways to distract ourselves. There is no way to avoid this subject and this subject has to be looked at straight into the eyes. Because we as human beings have been meant to experience a flourishing life and death is an aberration. Death is not what defines us nor is it to be our continuing reality. We as Christians are called to minister to one another with the news and the certainty that our king has addressed our deepest fears. And I hope you will listen today and say, you mean, Pastor Todd, I'm being called to minister in this way. I'm being called to serve others. And the answer is yes. I'm being called to serve others. I'm being called to continually serve the needs of other people with the glorious news of this gospel. Ministry continually builds up believers in hope. That's the first thought I want to share with you today. The second thought is ministry continually identifies with heartache. And thirdly, ministry continually roots others in the indicatives of grace. And we'll talk about that. So let's talk for a moment about how we build up others in hope. 
we build up others in hope. This may not be the most uh, interesting thing for you to, to hear this morning, but it's important. And that is, what's going on at Corinth is shaping Paul's thoughts. The Corinthians are in the, in, in the process of choosing different leaders, and they are in the process of turning away from the Apostle Paul. They are in the process of selecting a new way of envisioning church. Paul was the planter. Paul was the one who uh, got Corinth as a church started. He visited there several times. And what they are doing now is they are turning away from difficult subjects like death and, well, how how does Jesus conquer death and these sorts of subjects that are important in the church. And they're turning to more what would be called triumphalism. In other words, a sense of what can we get in this moment now? What can we how can we shine in glory now? Let's get some speakers. Let's get some, let's get some uh, apostles who are just more glorious than Paul. Um, they're more eloquent than Paul. Paul actually admits later in, the, in, the, in this epistle. He says he doesn't speak very, very well. And Paul kind of says, what? Paul essentially says, but you have my writings. <laughs> Paul doesn't, Paul's not really blown away by that criticism. Isn't really not that concerned about it. That they're turning to some glorious kind of leader, and yet these leaders don't understand the gospel. They are turning to man's glory, man's abilities, man's credentials, and the strength of their leaders instead of the strength of Jesus. Notice the tone and the confidence of Paul. In verse 1, that we know that the tent that is our earthly home, he uses the imagery of a tent for our bodies, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Death is a instantaneous passage from a temporary existence to a permanent existence. It's been said that a pastor's job is to prepare people to die. That might sound quite strange, but you can get it right here. Essentially, what Paul's throwing down as a kind of gauntlet, I guess, is that he's saying, look, do you have ministers who talk this way to you? Do you have ministers who speak gospel confidently? They speak in a way that that connects the work of Jesus to your hearts and with the big subjects that you must face. The Greeks were one of the first to say we had a soul and we have a body and the problem is the body, not the soul, that the body is entrapping the soul. If it could just be free from the body then it would experience uh, freedom. The biblical image of man is that man was made with a body. The body was good. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God affirms the creation of man, and in bodies it is good, and bodily existence is affirmed by Jesus. He wasn't a ghost. He really became uh, a human being. 
This is a theme of hope. In gospel ministry, we are building up each other in hope. Do you have words to say to each other that assure people, that comfort people? By hanging around Scotty Smith, I learned, and over the last few years, this guy really, really does bank on future glory. It was a category I had in my mind. Sure, uh, sure, yes, heaven, the new heavens and new earth, yes. But often in my categories of thinking was, well, yeah, that's a vague future. But not for people like Scotty Smith. It's like that is like real, and that is where our hope is to really be fostered and to dwell upon. Paul is, in a very subtle way, giving his credentials This is what gospel ministry is. Is this what you have, Corinthians, in your leaders? And, of course, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, these beautiful words, this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. When you are experiencing trials and difficulties, do you say that to yourself? Oh, this is just light affliction producing for me an eternal weight of glory. This is how we are to be thinking. This is how we are to be ministering to one another. Let me ask you here, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and trusting in him, uh, you must have a sense of of continuity in you, a sense of you will always be. It's just part, it sounds a little bit abstract, but there must be a sense in which you as a person, do you really embrace your non-existence? How do you come to terms with the shortness of life? Does that make sense with what it means to be a human being? Can we easily just say, oh, yes, we are the the product of this evolutionary process and everything, everything has no ultimate purpose or meaning and we must just stare into the abyss. There's something in you in the image of God that is just screaming out against that. You have been made to enjoy eternal glory to bask and enjoy eternal life. Ministry is is concerned with speaking to each other and building each other up in hope. Secondly, ministry continually identifies with heartache. Continually identifies with heartache. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. For in this tent we groan. Uh, longing to be longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent paul we just heard you we we groan being burdened okay so let me just pause there ministry is identifying with people's heartache with the groaning Groaning in what way? Well, we feel limited. 
We feel the limitations of our body. We feel it getting older. And Paul identifies with this fallenness. It is a sense of being burdened, the body's frailties and limitations. Paul had a particular interest in one subject that's coming up. And so let me explain it to you first before we read it. The Apostle Paul, uh, as the Bible teaches, uh, there's two things that are going to happen. Either we will die and go to heaven and be with our Lord, or we will be alive when the Lord comes back. The Bible does teach that Jesus will come back bodily as king. Now, those are the two options. Okay, everybody got the two options? You die, go to see the, be with the Lord, or you're present when he returns to this earth. Right? Those are the options. Now, what Paul is about to he had Paul had um, a little bit, I would say, a fixation, I guess is the word, not at all saying he's wrong, uh, but he, he loved the idea of Christ's sudden return. Uh, he's going to describe it here in the rest of verse 4. Okay, here it is. So he says, uh, but that we would be further clothed, oh, uh, excuse me, uh, let me read verse 4. Okay, for while we were still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal, you see that there? We could circle that word, mortal, may be swallowed up by life. Now that, I want to explain this, because Paul's thought is sometimes hard to follow. A mortal is not someone in heaven, in a sense. A mortal is someone here on earth. That make sense? So they have not experienced death and now in the presence of God. So here's my point. And so we look at this carefully, and Paul is pointing to one aspect of the new heavens and new earth when Christ returns, and he's giving an illustration that happens to all, it happens to all Christians, but one particular group that will have a unique experience of moving instantaneously from mortal existence to an immortal experience. All right? I just want to track that. So the mortal is putting on the, the immortal. Now we will all, as believers, finally get out of this groaning experience. Uh, my my grandmother on my mother's side, uh, she joked one time that she has two boyfriends. And that was like, whoa, this is interesting. She says, yes, uh, Arthur, Idis, and Ben Gay. Little, little cute quip there. But the pain continues on. Some of us are experiencing new pains in our bodies. We're experiencing this weakness. And what God does, though, is he gives us a picture of immortality. And we are, to, we are called to dwell upon it. It's to be, it's to be central in the, in the worship of God's people. It's to be central in what we do and say. C.S. Lewis one time said, you have never met a mere mortal. Meaning that if we saw one of our fellow brothers and sisters in heaven we would be tempted to worship them 
meaning there is a glorious future experience and body for you. There is a, a beautiful experience ahead, and it's to have weight in our lives today. And even as I've been preparing and thinking about this, I realize just how weak my theology of glory really is. The mortal may be swallowed up by life, right? You ever seen a cemetery? It seems like death swallows up life, doesn't it? Paul's play on words, and he says, no, the mortal is swallowed up by life. We get our life from God, and when the life that comes, that is the final stage of, of immortality, when it comes, it will be a fullness that we will, we will never fully uh, come to the end of our enjoyment of. But I have to say I have a deficient view of glory, and that's why I need to hang around uh, writers and speakers like Scotty. Even in heaven, folks, there's an image from Revelation chapter 6, and those martyrs of the Christian faith who had given their lives for the gospel, they're gathered around the throne. There's an image of them in Revelation 6, and you know what they're crying out? They're crying out a lament and a question. They are these souls anticipating their bodies. And they cry out, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our death? How long are you postponing the new heavens and the new earth? In glory, we will perceive more clearly and more accurately the need for the complete redemption of the world. If we lament for the event of, that took place in Florida this week, and we should, those in heaven understand it more deeply than we. How long, O oh Lord, will you withhold your day of judgment? How long, O oh Lord, will you withhold the day of justice? And so we are to interact with each other with these words. Parents, with your children. That they would understand that they've been made for a glorious future. Oh, how I wish that I had had dialogue with relatives and people and parents who could understand me and that experience I had in my grandfather's car that day. I grew up in this sort of this void of, of clear instruction about spiritual realities. Chasing this or that fascination, this or that TV show, this or that sci-fi novel. An eclectic kind of you know, all over the place experience. Parents, what a gift you can give your, your children. They would know that death is not to be a, f a fearful thing that in the gospel Jesus plows right through it and rises from it. 
So ministry continually builds up your fellow believers in hope. Ministry continually identifies with the brokenness of this existence, groanings and longings. And now look at verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing. Look at verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Ministry continually roots your fellow believers in the indicatives of grace. Notice the way verse 5 is written. He who has prepared us, past tense, continuously solid experience, not based upon us, God has prepared us for what? For immortality. This is rooted in the indicatives. You who are grammarians here, the indicative is a state of being, right? I am in church right now, right? That's in the indicative. So the indicatives of grace are realities that Jesus has accomplished for us. The indicatives are to shape our lives to give us bold confidence, to give us hope. How would you evaluate, O Corinthians, your new leaders? Do they give you the indicatives of grace or do they give you imperatives of law? Do you have gospel ministers who understand what Jesus has done, who cried out, it is finished? Or do you have dispensers of instructions and law? Are you under guilt and shame or under freedom and adoption? The indicatives of grace are radically important. Jesus has prepared you for immortality by clothing you. You have been prepared. You are clothed. If you have faith in Jesus, you have been given the garments that allow you to enter into this immortal existence. What is that garment? The garment is Christ's righteousness is upon you. You've been prepared to enter into the holiest place, the nearest nearest to God's throne. You can access the holy of holies. The the forbidden place in Old Testament Israel. Something was required of you that you could not provide, and that is the righteousness that God requires from his law. And Christ came and said, I will give that to you, and I will give that to you as as a as a as a as a gown to wear, as a as as a covering for you, his righteousness. And he was willing to feel in his body your fallen condition. He was willing to prepare himself in his body to serve you. His whole life prior to the cross was serving you. Isn't that great? Serving you. Serving your needs, knowing that you might or could or would be present before the holiness of God and not be able to survive his righteous judgment. 
Who perceived that more clearly than anyone was Jesus who walked this earth. And lived this life that you would have his whole life on your account. As your account. That's like the ultimate indicative. Jesus for me. Jesus on my behalf. By faith, you have the righteousness of Jesus. And here's another aspect of this. By faith, you've been adopted. And you are a son and daughter of the living God. Wow. Do you stare death down? That's what Paul's doing here. Not minimizing it. It's awful. It's awful. What this is is a bold gospel minister. The one who prepared this for us is our God. And by the way, how do you know this? He throws it in continually. You've been given the Spirit. The greatest guarantee of eternal life is in you, in you. Not some abstract future thing. The very presence of God is in you. Do you face death and stare it down in the power of the Spirit? Do you know co-workers you have? People in the office, neighbors, relatives. The book of Hebrews, chapter 4, tells us that Death, animate, the fear of death animates every person. Well, I'm watching Star Trek as a little boy. Something's animating my body. Something's moving through my body. All this boldness, all this challenging of creatures in the outer space world, all this going on, I know in my heart of hearts I still must face something that I'm not prepared to face. And no matter how many distractions I put in my life, I can't make it go away. And this is the awareness of our neighbors and relatives and friends, people we talk to. Folks, you are a minister of the gospel in every sense of the word. Because you have an opportunity to help them stare death down. Christ is always guiding by his spirit us to rejoice in the finished work that he accomplished And these are always addressing our core fears. He who has prepared us for this, this is our beautiful, kind, heavenly Father. There's so many indicatives of the gospel, so many. Uh, Perhaps we'll look at those next week. The Spirit cries inside us, O Father, Abba, Father. Thank you. Oh, Father, for communicating to us that we are bound 
to glory. What is it to be an encourager, to be a minister, to be involved in ministry? What is it? And here it is. It's to speak to people's fears. It's to listen and then to minister to them and speak to their fears. You can do it. You can have promises of the gospel. Weave them into your coffee shop conversation. Everyone you're talking to is struggling, has heartaches, and you can speak to those fears. I think about the dread that I experienced that day with my grandfather, just observing him, thinking about what it meant to be old. But I'll tell you, no one has experienced dread the dread of death itself more than Jesus. No one has ever fully understood the depth, the radical separation that death creates. And there was no other person who was more committed to destroying and defanging it than Jesus. He never once was diverted He was never once thrown off his mission or his task. And he emerges resurrected and he cooks fish with his disciples on the beach. How about that? He's relaxed, at peace, and he knows with great assurance that death was looked at and stared right into the eyes, and death is what the one that blinked. And death, Revelation tells us, will be no more. How about that? For some gospel encouragement. Let's pray. Oh, our Father, we thank you for this story. That's a story that lifts us up and gives us a taste of glory. We love you. Strengthen us, Lord, with this gospel hope. We, Lord, ask that you would give us now the meal that tells us so clearly the signs and the seals of your love for us. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.